When I used to teach creative writing, I would tell the students to make their characters want something right away, even if it's only a glass of water. Characters paralyzed by the meaninglessness of modern life still have to drink water from time to time. Kurt Vonnegut. Hello, welcome to StoryCraft, brought to you by the Pioneer Library System. I'm Amanda. And I'm Zach. Thank you for joining us today. We hope we encourage you to create your stories. We sure do. Now, Amanda, I stole this quote from you because you were going to use it for something else, but I really liked it. I love this quote. Yeah. Tell me tell me what drew you to this when you wanted to use it. Well, I think that it's, um, it. well, it's the, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that it's really important to remember that characters have to be interesting and, mm-hmm. you know, you have to give them a drive. They you know, have to want you, something. you have to, and you know, the, the reader has to engage with the, with the characters and have to care about what their plight is, whatever it is. And even if it's, it's just such wise advice, even mm-hmm. if they're, even if their their plight and the theme of the story is really large and lofty, you know, you have to give the, the reader something to grab onto right away absolutely it's just it's really really brilliant and i i think of this as the glass of water is such a good example because mm-hmm. to me that's something you can do page one sentence one mm-hmm. you know bob was thirsty mm-hmm. boom mm-hmm. you're in media res you're already like you know the character you know they want something mm-hmm. if nothing else you know that they need to drink right right and i think that this is such a a good way of like you can write that you can do this whole thing just as a writing exercise if you wanted to you could say, hey, have a character do something really mundane and write half a page about that. Mm-hmm. To me, that is really where it's at. That's a good way to establish character. Well, and immediately takes your reader on this track of like, is he going to find a glass of water? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we're immediately going down this path of you know, <laughs> finding finding the, the glass of water. Right. Even if there's this larger path we're, we're pursuing, you know, right. the meaninglessness of, of modern life. It's the whole, but we're still going to you know, go down this one. It's the Harold and Kumar thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like all they want is White Castle. <laughs> all these adventures, such a meaningless thing to get White Castle. And you just started at the very beginning, like, hey, let's get White Castle. It's mm-hmm. so quick. You get into it, you know, immediately. I'm very, Vonnegut would have loved that movie. <laughs> is Vonnegut still alive? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say yes, because if he's not, then I, I will be. I don't think so. I don't know. Okay. All right, I'm not going to go on the record. Yeah, let's. Yeah, we'll just say it's uncertain. I don't think um, anybody knows. Vonnegut died in 2007. Producer's Von- note. <laughs> Producer's note. Thank you, Ben. Vonnegut died in 2007. He's ah, the all-knowing God. being behind the, yeah. the curtain. Happy Ben. Ben. Ben facts. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, that's as good a segue as any indoor topic for the day, <laughs> which is last time I gave a long and rambling uh, discussion about Aristotle and the idea of the three-act structure, right? And everyone was riveted. They loved it. Millions of emails flooding in yes. questions. So yes. couldn't Tell me keep more. up with them all. Crashed the servers here at the Pioneer Library System. Today, <laughs> I want to talk about another barn burner, which is the five-act structure. Yes, two whole extra acts. Uh, and we're going to talk about that in the context of Freytag's Pyramid. So before I get into the background, et cetera, et cetera, I just want to know, Amanda, 5X structure, Freytag's Pyramid, is this something that you have encountered before in your life? Yeah, this is what I was taught in middle school. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a pretty basic way that we think of story structure now. Yes. Um, 
and we'll see why here in a minute. But yeah, I, I agree. I would think I was taught it in middle school. I think this is something that even if we didn't call it this, mm -hmm. these are the way that we think of these moments and these beats. Right. So let me give you some background on Gustav Freytag. Uh, and I was thinking about doing a dumb German accent. Please My, do. Well, I thought about it, but it turns out Gustav Freytag, not a great dude. So I don't want to get involved in that. Oh. Um, <laughs> Let me phrase. I don't know if he's a great dude. I don't think like some of the stuff he wrote about was that great. That's where I will stand on it. He had not great ideas. Bingo. Okay. Um, so he's a German novelist and playwright, born in 1816, died 1895. Uh, I don't know if anybody remembers, but there was a little bit of a dust up here in America around the end of that time, like in the 1860s that <laughs> probably was occupying us for some of that. Um, but he wrote this book called Debit and Credit in 1855. So, for reference, Leaves of Grass by Walt Whitman and Wadsworth's Song of Hiawatha were both published the same year. Zach's note, if that's not the case, please don't write to me about it. I got those off the internet. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, this was kind of the definition of a smash hit in terms of novels. Uh, you know, it was internationally renowned. It was a big deal. It was kind of super racist against Jewish people and Polish people. You know... A lot of this, like, Germany is great, uh, everyone else is dumb. Mm -hmm. um, I really got the impression from just reading about this and, like, reading some passages from it, translated, that German identity and politics is a lot more complex than I, an American, would ever kind of have thought. Um, and especially at this point in German's history, mm. Germany's history, excuse me. Um, but we're not going to talk about debit and credit. We're going to talk about Diverlorin... Hand shrift. Do you want to take a stab at that? No. Okay. Absolutely not. Uh, translated <laughs> into is uh, the lost handwriting, which was another novel uh, in 1864. Again, this is like right before the Civil War over here. Mm -hmm. A story about a young professor who is looking for a lost manuscript. Uh, and then what we're really going to talk about, what we're getting into, is something called uh, Ditechnique des Dramas, which I feel like you can probably infer from just understanding how badly I butchered that. <laughs> uh, published in 1863, translated in 1894 as Freytag's Technique of the Drama, an Exposition of Dramatic Composition and Art. This is the basis of the structure we're going to discuss today, a.k.a. Freytag's Pyramid. So, uh, in this text, Freytag outlines a generic story structure, uh, a model, right? Uh, five acts. And by five acts... I saw an interesting post on Reddit the other day where someone was like, what is an, what is act? Like, what is an act structure? I don't understand what acts are. Right. And I was trying to think, because we have this podcast, if someone asked me on the street, hey, what is an act? How would I describe that to them? Uh -huh. And I think that what I came up with is an act is a unit of, I don't even know how to say this part. An act is a unit of story. That is complete. It has a beginning, a middle, and end. It has something. It, it is whole. It moves. It, it is a building block, right? It is mm -hmm. you. Everything that happens in it is unified. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about that with the Aristotle episode. Go back and listen to that if you haven't, or if it hasn't come out yet, listen to it in the future. <laughs> um, it is a unit of story that is complete, right? Uh, so Freytag, when he has these five acts, the model is there's an introduction. There's a rise, a rising action. There's a climax. There's a return or a fall. And there's a catastrophe. 
Now by themselves, those words don't mean too much. So we're going to kind of break it down and give you an idea of, so like when you experience stories in your own life or when you uh, are watching them, you can kind of understand a little bit more about, oh, this is why this works for me. This is why I am engaging with this in such a way. It's familiar to us. Right. It, it really stimulates those parts of your brain. And you'll also be able to say, well, this is why I don't like that is because it doesn't do this part well or it doesn't mm -hmm. follow this well or it, it just isn't doing what it's supposed to be, quote unquote, doing. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's get started here. And I thought the way we could talk about it is, you know, we talk about the unit of act and then maybe something that does it well or something that we immediately think of with it. Uh, so we'll start with the ex exposition, the introduction. Um, let's start at the beginning. It's a very good place to start. Mm -hmm. uh, in the exposition, that's when we talk about the setting, the characters. We set the mood. Uh, we introduce people. We kind of give the audience what the, the generic layout of what is happening. And my immediate thought with uh, this is... Uh, in the Lord of the Rings, right? The Fellowship okay. of the Ring. Mm -hmm. Now, to be fair, I have not read the Lord of the Rings since high school, so please don't at me on this. <laughs> uh, but my remembrance of it is that little Elijah Wood playing around <laughs> in the Shire uh, in big giant Gandalf, normal size to us, but giant to, to tiny Elijah Wood, so small, two foot four inches, Elijah Wood, uh, comes wandering into the Shire for Bilbo's the 111th birthday mm -hmm. right right and you get like a really good sense of place you get like oh here's what the shire is here's mm -hmm. this idyllic countryside village mm -hmm. um here's who this person is you know the the frodo uh what the frodo <laughs> he's the frodo of the <laughs> story the frodo. um what what his whole deal is how his personality uh yeah what he values what yeah. he wants yeah um and you get an idea of like gandalf what what his deal is this is a side note because my, do you know a lot about Lord of the Rings lore? Ish, yeah. Okay. So I don't. So this is why I'm asking. Mm -hmm. My understanding is that Gandalf is like an angel of some kind. Like a, is that a real thing? No. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Again, please don't write to us about this. This is not something I really want to know more what about. You, what do you mean? Well, my, okay. This, my is this going to be a whole tangent? Am I, I taking you on a tangent? If it is, our I'm producer sorry. can take care of it. <laughs> uh, let me rephrase. Our producer's assistant can take care of it. Um, my understanding is that Gandalf is uh, some sort of like angel, like a, a Valar, a Malar, something like that, and is like the, the big demon thing he fights later. They're the same thing. They're just like good and evil. And like all the wizards are actually like angels sent to Earth, well, to Middle Earth, to like protect it or to to do something it's not clear to me again i'm not really up on this but my question was do are we always say gandalf is he right mm -hmm. are do they have genders like do angels in tolkien's cosmology have genders uh because i'm not actually sure if angels in like other cosmologies do that that is a tangent i feel feel free to destroy all of that and just <laughs> say zach went on a tangent about stuff he doesn't understand <laughs> Okay. Coming back. So that's that was my example of like exposition introduction. Mm -hmm. What what's your take on this? Like how important is this to setting a mood to to just putting together a story? Oh, I think that the the introduction and the exposition I think it's very important. Okay. To me as a reader, 
I need it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, here's, let me hit you with this then. Okay. Because I also, like I said, I immediately thought of what something that does this well, the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Something that I felt also doesn't do it, but do does it well, is uh, Memento by Christopher Nolan. Have you seen this flick? What? No. Yes, I love Memento. Okay, tell me. Okay, so again, this is an edition of Zach talks about things he saw one time and barely remembers. <laughs> but my remembrance of this is that it kind of starts with him... Because the whole conceit of Memento is he has it's, no long-term memory, right? Right, right. So it starts with you really, again, in the middle of things. Yes. Um, but you don't really know what's going on, right? Right, uh, right. Tell me about this. Like, what's your take on that in terms of this? Does it fit this structure? Is there, does it not fit it? What's your thought? Hmm. Well, it's revealed to you as it's revealed to him, mm-hmm. right? So for our, for our readers, so if I'm, oh gosh, it's been years since I've seen this, <laughs> but... You don't know the and the and the character doesn't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to solve a mystery. He forgets everything. Yeah. When he goes to sleep, is that? I don't think it's just when he goes to sleep. I think it's like I remember like being startled and stuff. Like I, I just think he's he lacks a long term memory. Yeah. So yeah. so he so he documents his day through taking these Polaroids mm-hmm. and he writes notes to himself. And he gets like tattoos. It's super yeah. cool. Yeah. It's rad. You guys should yeah. see. Memento. It's very very good. Yeah. But um, I. I think the movie is is exposed to us. The story is told backwards, mm-hmm. and so if, yeah, of course it doesn't do this because it's ba- it's out of order, right? So you you start watching the movie, you start watching it at the very end mm-hmm. of the story, and then we don't understand what's going on until the very very end when we see what started the whole thing, yeah, yeah. the catalyst for the whole big climax that you got the movie starts off with mm-hmm. so then i guess that's the question is yeah does it still do the exposition that we need in that first act quote unquote or so the beginning of the movie right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. slowly well yeah okay yeah yeah this this we do want right in about this because i am curious what your take <laughs> on that um, because this is what I thought, like, well, even something like this with a non-traditional order of the, right, or, yeah. it still manages to kind of hit this structure, um, mm-hmm. in a weird way. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the mark of the artistry of it is that it does it so well, you don't actually notice it's doing right, it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, doesn't do it in, yeah, in this sense. It doesn't lay it out for us mm-hmm. in this order, but we still get the whole setup. Right. We still understand things. We just don't understand it in the same way we're expected we're expecting to have it laid out for us yeah yeah, yeah. this is also if you haven't seen tenet you should see tenet okay <laughs> moving on uh rising action mm-hmm. act two right mm-hmm. um and the hard part about talking about an act structure is a lot of people say well how many minutes is the first act that's not really how it works right you know or right. how many pages is the first act uh the Act lasts as long as the act lasts right. until it's complete, until it's the unit is finished. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't ask how long Dark Side of the Moon is. Dark Side of the Moon is as long as Dark Side of the Moon is. So have you read the Poisonwood Bible? No. Oh. I feel like you've asked me this before, but maybe oh. off mic. Maybe. Tell yeah. me more about yeah. the Poisonwood Bible. Well, it's it's really, really good. So when we were talking about like what we think does well, it's one thing I thought of. Um, and it does this, I think, pretty well. Mm-hmm. 
And um, so we get, and it's, it's kind of longish on the whole introduction thing. There are all a lot of characters and we get to know them very well through flashbacks and through present mm-hmm. um, time in the story. And, um, oh, it's, oh, it's, it's really good. It's really good. But then, yeah, the, there's a lot in the plot that takes place. There's a lot of little rising action and lots of things. And you can, you can feel the tension rising okay. so beautifully throughout. I, I just thought on this one, that, what, that was one that does the rising action really, really well. So it's a family of missionaries. Okay. So it's this, um, this preacher and it takes place in the 1960s. And um, he, this preacher takes his family um, to their there three daughters. Three daughters? Yes. Three daughters. I Four agree daughters? with you. Four daughters. There are at least three daughters, perhaps <laughs> more. Um, to, uh, to Africa. Okay. And they are going to take over this missionary and this mission. And they're going to, you know, do what missionaries do and, you know, lead sure. lead these people. Um and he's a bit of an abusive man and, you know, it's, it's just all these family dynamics and stuff that are taking place and they're having to adjust to life um, in a very different environment and they're learning all these things that, you know, that they were ill-prepared for. Sure. And um, then, you know, the politics of the area become a part of their lives and they get involved in that in different ways and you know yeah oh there's all this danger and yeah it's, but, but you're saying it's like the rising wonderful. action the tension yes the so tension good. slowly rises throughout it and it's really 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 well done okay yeah well listeners yeah. So check I feel that like out a good your... slow rising action it's <laughs> i recommend poisonwood bible okay and it's a novel yes okay barbara kingsolver i love barbara kingsolver oh yeah check it out at your local pioneer library <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, so, I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. the exposition is that foundation. Mm-hmm. Like, here's the world in which the story takes place. Mm-hmm. Here's all the stuff you need to know to get going. And here are the people and the characters. Oh, well, people or, or other characters. Right. Maybe like anthropomorphic woodland creatures. Yeah. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, and then the rising action is those supports. The Everything hangs off of the stuff that happens in the rising action. Um, and so that's not to say that you can't introduce new things later on. It's just, it's hard to do well, you know, it's hard to do in such a way that feels cohesive. Uh, any piece of media that you really, really like, or that really resonates with you, you know, I feel like you examine that and you're going to see that, oh yeah, all the stuff that is introduced in the second act is what, uh, what hits, what, what you feel connected to, um, in some way. Uh, I'm reading my notes. He's reading his notes. <laughs> yes. And this is where the beginning of the plot threads form that eventually get resolved in the next act uh, or the, uh, I guess I wouldn't say the next act. They don't get resolved, but they get like brought to a head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They brought together in the climax. The climax is the turning point of the story. And this is the one that a lot of people, including myself, have trouble wrapping their heads around because when you think, climax it usually seems like the climax is sort of the end of stuff and when you think of it just in your brain like oh the climax climax happens everything comes to a head and story's over yeah and that's not necessarily the case um 
I will say it does seem to me like it sort of happens later in the story. What's your take on this? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that that's where I think that um, this model is a little bit misleading because it looks like, you know, it looks like a mountain, right? It's like this flat line and then it goes up and point and then it goes down and then goes flat line. Right. But it's really not in the middle of the of the the story. They should have called this Freytag's isosceles triangle. (laughs) It doesn't roll off the tongue as much. And I don't know if there's a German word for isosceles, but I feel like that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Freytag skateboard. Scalene. Yeah. Scalene triangle. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's way more accurate. Yeah. Come on, dude. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So yes, for sure. Cause it's, it doesn't take place. It's, it's really towards the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's the hard part to kind of wrestle with is that these last two acts really are sort of crammed in on that downward slope you know um but yes so this is the turning point of the story and if things are going good here they go badly um Mm -hmm. if things are going badly here they you know turn around and start to get better yeah and you kind of see the difference in that in in a drama things are going well and then they get bad Mm -hmm. uh that's the dramatic the tragic aspect of it if things are going if it's the other way around, if things are going bad and then they get good, that's the comedy, you know? And I'm thinking of something like, for whatever reason, I always think of Seth Rogen movies when I think of okay. comedy. And I sure. don't know what that says about me as a person. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think of like in Neighbors. Have you seen Neighbors? No, I haven't. <laughs> Children listening, do not see Neighbors. Um there's just like these these are always like where there's the big house party or there's like the big event where oh we gotta you know make it to the wedding on time like something is happening here at the end where things have been bad and now let's get it together let's let's have the uplifting one um have you watched wedding crashers recently oh no i i have seen it though yeah i know i know what you're talking about (laughs) yes wedding crashers also a similar thing where like the climax again happens towards the end at the big wedding. Mm-hmm. By the way, that movie kind of holds up, but not all the way. I mean, it's still very funny. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's just wild how much comedy has changed in that time. I digress. Kindle cut that part out. <laughs> uh, but this is where we get to the falling action, right? The climax happens. Everything comes together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Captain America takes down the big shield helicarrier. Mm-hmm. And then the action starts to kind of drop off. And now, now Freytag says that during this area or they're during this part of the story, the number of characters should be as limited as possible. So if you have, you know, 20 characters in your story, the following action is kind of where you really only check in with like the really important ones. Mm-hmm. You wrap up with the ones that the mm-hmm. readers are naturally going to be wondering about. Right. You don't yeah. need to come back and see what Tom Bombadil is doing, you know, <laughs> All you care about is Bilbo yeah. and yeah. some of these other guys. <laughs> Bilbo and the other That's so seven true. Dwarfs. That's so yeah, true. We don't, like, we uh, don't go uh, check in. What's he doing? I don't know. That's like a wolf man, right? A bear guy in The Hobbit? Yeah. yeah. Okay. He's the, I think he's the, 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 bird, the bird guy. Oh, boy. Again, please yeah. don't write to us about this. <laughs> um, this is... I, do I have more about that? Yes. So the falling action is where kind of... The climax has happened and the plot threads here, this is where they really coalesce. So mm-hmm. if they all were like funneling together at the climax, boom, the following action is where it all comes together. 
you don't really introduce anything new here. You kind of want to make sure that you're leaving your reader all the questions or your watcher or whatever, mm -hmm. all the questions they had, wrap those Wrapping up. Wrapping them up. Mm -hmm. But this is where, see, I, this is why I don't really love this model. Hit me. Because, you know, it's the rising action and then the climax, the falling action. Mm -hmm. But it's it's not, it doesn't always feel that way. Right. And like you'd mentioned, like in comedies, Absolutely. you know, it's like things that go better and it doesn't, you know, sometimes it's a, it doesn't feel like, you know, rising in intensity and right. then like some kind of a peak in energy and then falling down. No, no. Sometimes that's the way it is, but sometimes it's not. <laughs> it's, <laughs> you know? it's hard to think of it as a conceptual falling, mm -hmm. right? Because... Mm -hmm. You want to equate it to emotional falling <laughs> or emotional rising, mm -hmm. and that's not always the case, right? You know. So yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I don't it's think hard. it's a great model because I think it doesn't fit mm -hmm. everything, like the comedies that you had mentioned. Like yes. I think that instead, comedies are just like ah, and then oh, okay, it, okay, finally they <laughs> calm down. <laughs> well, it makes me wonder if there's like a German word for this that's more accurate. You know, they have like Weltschmerz and all this stuff and Schadenfreude that like, you know what I mean? Like, I wonder if there's like a German word for, for this that is more accurate. More accurate. But I, yeah, I agree with you. It does not, you know, you mentioned uh, mm -hmm. the, the Poisonwood Bible, how mm -hmm. the rising action is this tension. Like that tension doesn't always, you're right. It doesn't feel like it's rising. It just feels constricting or mm -hmm. like maybe depressing or something. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Yeah, so I think We're, sometimes it can be a little bit misleading, mm -hmm. you know. And sometimes, I, you know, like climax, it sounds like, I don't know, like a high point sometimes. Right. And, and uh, well, you know, yeah. that's not the high point of the story. That's, you know. No, absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, it, it not, not all the time. Yeah. Uh, and the fifth act, the final act, is the uh, catastrophe or the, uh, the denouement. Which I don't know why nice. we have a French word in here. Well done. It's, <laughs> thank I was, you. I was so ready to tease you well, about took, saying that badly. I took a semester of French. Okay, so good. My uh, my French teacher used to say that like in French you like spit the words out and in English you chew on them like John Wayne. And I <laughs> that's always stuck with me. Okay. Um, so this catastrophe, this is the hard part for me because to me a catastrophe sounds a lot like climax, right? Yeah. It sounds it's, like it's, it's misleading. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like this is the denouement works better here. Yes, it does. Um the this is the logical ending based on the story so far. Mm -hmm. And now we say the logical ending, this is the thing where like you put these all together and you can understand, oh, here's why the dominoes fell in this way. Mm -hmm. I've experienced this whole narrative. Um, now I get it. I this is a cool This is an, exa uh, an interesting example of something that I feel doesn't quite do this well, or maybe does it in a way that I'm not, I'm prepared to say in a way that I'm not familiar with. Okay. And so maybe I didn't quite bump on it. But uh, if anybody has seen the new, <laughs> the, the Snyder cut of the Justice League, mm -hmm. have you have you witnessed this yet? No, I don't watch those. Okay, that's fine. I, I don't either. I witnessed <laughs> it because it was a thing that people were said you had to witness. <laughs> Um, but something that this Snyder Cut does well is the language of storytelling is it reverses a lot of stuff. It'll set up an event and then you'll ask all these questions about it. And then it's like, oh yeah, and here's why. So, so one of the uh, things that I thought of watching this, spoilers abound, Kindle, feel free to cut this out. Um, 
Oh, I just blanked on it. I 100% had it and I lost it. Oh, no. Yeah. There. Mm, it's going to kill me. Never mind. I'll come. I'm not going to come back to it. Lose all that. Um, but this idea of like the, the ending has to be logical. The ending mm-hmm. has to flow from it. Uh, the conflicts are all resolved. And now when we say the conflicts are resolved, that doesn't mean that you can't like leave stuff to the reader's imagination right. to be set up. Sure. Um, there's, there is room for the, well, what's your interpretation of it? You know, mm-hmm. what, what do you think happens next? But the, story is not interested in telling that anymore it is hit you with what it wanted to hit you with and if it's a good story if it's well written you know that the reader should know that um there's a sense of normality restored to it uh, the, the detention you know is released mm-hmm. um, and i think that that's why calling this the denouement is much better than the catastrophe mm-hmm. i feel like i'm going to give people some sort of sensory thing from saying denouement in this weird <laughs> word all the time. Um, so we talk about the difference between the, the comedy and the tragedy. You know, tragedies end with the protagonist in a in a worse place, uh, whereas a comedy ends with them in a better place. Like mm-hmm. they've come out of it successful, right. whereas the tragedy is the other way around. Um, and this is, again, a very, very bicameral version of drama right there's Mm -hmm. either a tragedy or a comedy and that's not the case we know there's all these areas in between but i think very broadly you can like look at those two things Uh, i think of the in stranger than fiction when will ferrell has to make the lists like the tally marks of whether he's in a tragedy or a comedy have you witnessed this film no oh my god you gotta witness this film it's so good yeah uh are you familiar with the plot at all or is this brand new oh will ferrell um wakes up one day and hears the voice of an author talking about his life, narrating what he does. Okay. And he finds out he's in a story. Oh. Um, and so he goes to Dustin Hoffman, who is an English professor with just the best office I've ever seen an English professor have. <laughs> uh, and he's like, well, the first thing you got to do is you got to figure out if you're in a tragedy or a comedy. And so he like takes care of his little notebook and makes marks when he's something happens in this tragic, something happens. Okay. It's very okay. good. Anyway, uh, that's a very, <laughs> very broad overview of this like, Freytag pyramid five act structure. You know, this is the kind of thing that you could study for for weeks, if not years. Um, but I think that it's really important to to at least have a kind of an understanding of this generic scalene triangle mm-hmm. of drama <laughs> to get an idea, so that when you are reading something, when you are watching something, you kind of can connect with those emotions that it's making you feel. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it makes you a more discerning reader, a more discerning uh, imbiber of of stories of stories thank yeah. you yeah and i i feel like that's the importance of it to me an imbiber of stories yeah i like that thank you yeah i uh <laughs> i regretted it almost immediately <laughs> so that's that's my take on it uh do you have any final thoughts before we move on no i thanks for bringing this up okay like, yeah no i don't have any final thoughts Now we're going to take a short break for a word about upcoming programs from Pioneer Library System. Coming May 1st, 2021, Pioneer Library's Summer Learning Challenge. Read, complete activities, log your points to earn swag. With categories for children, teens, and adults, there is something for everyone with our Summer Learning Challenge. Visit pioneerlibrarysystem.org and use the My Learning link to learn more. And we're back. 
All right, thanks. So this is the part of the podcast where we tell you about some library materials you can find for some more information about Freytag's Pyramid or just 5X structure in general. Uh, a couple of resources I wanted to highlight yeah. where there's a great streaming video on Canopy uh, from the Writing Great Fiction series, episode 10, Plotting with Freytag's Pyramid. This is something that, you know, come to your local library, talk to us about Canopy, look it up on our website. It's a great service. Um, this yeah, is re- Canopy is one of my favorite oh, services. I love it. Yeah. 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 If you're not, if you're not using Canopy, you should definitely come ask one of us. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and then the other one is a, a book called Fast Fiction, A Guide to Outlining and Writing a First Draft Novel in 30 Days by Denise Jaden, J-A-D-E-N, Denise Jaden. Uh, and again, I really recommend that because it has, uh, it talks about this pyramid structure, this like scaling triangle and, and how you can use it in your own writing. Sounds interesting. Yeah. Uh, and in the meantime, just do yourself a favor, go on Google, uh, look up Freytag Pyramid Template. And try and use that. See where your own writing, your own stories, maybe some ideas that you've had in the past fall into it. And for next time, uh, use this pyramid for your own work. Um, It can be really helpful to organize your work in this way and kind of see how they fit into the larger puzzle of your narrative. Uh, If nothing else, it might help you say, oh, well, that's why I was having trouble right here. Mm -hmm. This naturally should go in this place. Maybe I should change this around a little bit. Um, And let us know how that goes. So... Thanks for joining us today. If you write a story or an outline based off of this prompt, we'd really love for you to share it with us. Uh, Email podcast at pioneerlibrarysystem.org with the subject line storycraft. We might read it on our next episode. Thank you for joining us. Bye. Bye.